That's all we now had. We had each other, we had one kid at the time, the second on the way, and that, that's what we could cling on to. So yes, we were both mourning this. We'd often talk about the situations. We'd often, like, you know, we can come like, what are we doing this weekend? Normally we'd go out and have a briar with our friends or we'd be going away for a weekend. You start seeing the social media, you start seeing them, they're still going out, they're still doing their thing, and like, we're not part of it. And it's like, yeah, it hurt. When his business eventually ended, it took with it his co-founder relationship, best mates, and the group of friends from high school. Jason Bagley's company, Firing Squad, started out as a project-based service business. But thanks to his ability to analyze the data, he pivoted to a more profitable product-based retainer model focused on email management. Unfortunately for Jason and his business partner, the data can only point you in the direction you need to go. The rest is up to you. Jason landed an enticing client who would mark the downfall of his company with late payment, all-consuming work, and the promise of shiny Silicon Valley-like growth and venture capital. Jason's story is one filled with resilience, recovery, and an unfortunate lack of focus as a single destructive client grew in scope, but not in profit. My name is Nick Harolambus, and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Welcome back to It's Not Over. Today, I'm sitting with one of my closest friends, a guy I've known for a long time. We've been entrepreneurs together for a long time. We lived in the same city for a long time. Jason Bagley, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. I feel great to be on the show. I had to pay a lot of money to get a seat on, <laughs> on, your, on your podcast, Nick, after begging for months and months. No, uh, I'm joking. But I'm good, uh, thanks. That's funny. Just for anybody who thinks he's being honest there, he's not. Nobody pays me to be on this show. That's not a thing. Jay, it's really good to have you. I obviously know a lot of your personal strife and stories on a business side. So I'm interested for you to start by telling people listening who you are and anything you want to tell them. I don't really care. And what you currently do, I'll let you plug that at the end of the show again, but like, like who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into what business you're going to be talking about. Cool. Yeah. So I'm a, you know, I've started a few businesses. I think my background is a lot of it is in, a lot of people know me as the guy that's done email or whereas cold emails or email marketing. I used to be a developer back in the day. So that's where I sort of started my technical so I have some technical skills around that um, and currently yeah, running a business called copy check, but you know, that's not as exciting as the stories I'm going to dive in, we'll dive into. And I think, yeah, the business I wanted to, you know, share with people, the stories I want to share on a business called firing squad. And at the time, sort of this transition, or it used to be a, a web design and development agency, good old fashioned service based agency. We would sell hours, we were really great at design had a business partner that was unbelievable by design. And at a stage we pivoted to becoming an email marketing specialist agency. And so, yeah, and that's, that's cool. sort of the story I guess I want to tell. Okay, great. So tell me, give me some context on the business. When are we talking about? So when did you start this business? And when you started it, it was you and your business partner or who and how many people? And like, give me some context on that. Sure, yeah. So. Firing Squad, I'd say, started around 2012, 2013, and it was, it started as, it actually wasn't called Firing Squad, it was actually called White Space at a stage, and that was myself and uh, Adrian, who was a really great mate of mine, I went to high school with him, we weren't really friends in high school, but we became friends later on in life, and we started to sort of, I was, you know, doing some freelance work, but I couldn't design, I'd be coding, and Adrian would then take leave from his current job on like a Monday, some days or Tuesdays, and then we'd work on our project, my projects together. And then eventually we'd work late evenings in his flat in Cape Town together. And then that sort of got to a point where I could afford to hire him full time. So I said to him, dude, I, we can now make it work. You can resign. Let's build this business together. And it sort of like grew from there. That's quite interesting. Just on, on that point, how long did it take you to get from, hey, we're working nights, hey, we're working weekends, holy shit, you've got too much work, okay, now you're on full-time? That was, I'd say, that was about six months. So wow. six, six to nine months, if I remember how long it was. Look, at back then, it was like Adrian needed to make, I mean, yeah, I'll share these numbers, it's such a long time ago, but it's like 10 grand a month, 10 or 12,000 rand a month. And so... Yeah. And I was pretty much taking that home as well myself. Mm. And so it was easy to sort of just make enough retainer clients that we could like, I could just make it over the line. It's like, dude, we can do so much more if you're now full-time instead full -time. of like 
four hours a week, you know. And at that stage, did you give him equity or did you just hire him as a permanent employee? I didn't know. I didn't give him any equity at that stage. I don't even think I had a proper business formed, to be honest. I think it was more oh, just okay. freelance. Yes. And then when I did, and then what, when, yeah, then we got to a point where, yes, the business was formed and there was actually a third person who started doing a lot of development work for us. And then it, this one day I had this conversation where there were three of us. Um, I was like, hey guys, I'm bringing most of the retainer work. I want 70, 70 I'm going to take 70% of this business. I'm Adrian 15, other guy 15. And the one guy was like, nah, I'm out. And so I was like, well, Adrian, you can have his 15 and there's 30 and that 70, 30 split. That's where it started. Let's not move off that one yet because, um, Interestingly, I've had a conversation with someone recently who's got a three-year-old business and they're bringing on a partner and she was telling me how awkward it was to have this conversation about money and valuations and equity and like the business coach and me kicked in and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not awkward. What's awkward is when you don't have the conversation and then things go to shit and then you don't have a contract and then the money needs to be decided and the valuation set and all of that shit. So Tell me about that conversation with Adrian and third person. Like what brought it on and how were you in that meeting? Like you're a very nice guy. I know you. People expect me to go into negotiations and be an asshole. Like that's par for the course. You, they expect to give them and give and give. So how did that unravel? I struggled with that one. That was like the one I, it was over a weekend. So the Friday we were discussing and the funny thing, we were actually working at this third, his name is Paul. We were working out of his house. So we were working out of his house for about a three to four month period before this happened. And then I, then I said, okay, guys, we need to like formalize this. They're like, yo, yo, let's formalize this properly. And like, I'll work on it this weekend and I'll come to you guys and I'll sit you guys down. And I stressed so much about how do I figure this out? And I just went rands and cents. I was like, these are my clients that I brought, which I did. They were mine. And so I'm bringing most of the, the value. And so I just put it into rands and cents terms and sort of, and, and I just presented it in my nice way of doing it. And I wasn't trying to push anyone out or anything like that. And Paul was like, ah, this isn't for me. And yeah, okay. we left five days later out of his house. And I mean, better early than late, right? Rather figure it out. I mean, but mm. most of the listeners on this show have heard many of my stories that you figure out three years into a partnership that the partner doesn't really want to be there and then they screw you over. So better early on. Okay, exactly. so you and Adrian take the business forward. It's just two of you. You've now got stable retainers and you're a growing design and web agency. Yes. And, and then, you know, at that stage, then what? <laughs> so <laughs> you know, now we had grown, we had, we had offices, we had probably about up to about 10 to 12 staff now. And we, we got to a stage, and this was the end of 20, 2014, I remember. So end of 2014, we looked at the business and we're like, and, and got to the end of the financial year, or actually, no, not the financial year, December. We're like, cool, look at how much money we made. And that stage it was probably around four, five million rand in revenue, if wow. I remember correctly. And I was like, okay, we're going to pay like ourselves bonuses. And I looked at the numbers like, but there's no money in the bank account to do this. What are we doing wrong? And so I looked at, so, so sat down with Adrian and the two of us, we sat down like, dude, this is such a slog. This design agency thing is like project based. We had no retainers then. We had like one retainer, two retainers, if I remember. And this part of this, the, the story. And so I said, let me pull up our top five clients that we, for the last three years, who'd spent the most money with us. And right at the top of that list was Incredible Connection. And all we did for Incredible Connection, which is a big, you know, IT retailer here in South Africa. And all we did for them was design and send out a newsletter every single week oh, and run their blog. Like that was it. And wow. they were paying us a lot of money to do that. We did a good job, of course, but <laughs> they were paying us a lot of money. And we're like, this is the easiest thing we've done. We send out a yeah. newsletter. It's gone. You can't call it back. You can't, you know, you launch a website. It's the worst, you know, celebrations. Everyone's now seeing your website. Everyone's seeing your work. And now there's bugs. You've got to fix that. There's no celebration. Newsletter, it's gone. And we're like, wait a second. There's a better business in here. Let's pivot to becoming email marketing specialists. And that's what we did in the beginning of 2015. Okay, amazing. But I don't want to get off the idea that you had four to five million rand in sales, but you couldn't afford to pay bonuses. So where the fuck was your money? You go home, you go still go find it, Nick. I don't know. So so <laughs> wild. I, it, so it was. I think it was around like sell. It, it was a case of us 
project-based work, meaning we were, I wasn't very smart with billing clients regularly. So, so, and also with web design, something that just takes longer and longer. So I definitely wasn't estimating projects correctly. So scope creep happened. We went over time. I hardly, we hardly did timesheets for stuff. Um, and then, you know, we'd always get paid late. So there was, it wasn't that the, the, the money was being like, it was just, there was cash flow was always an issue. And it was more of a cash flow problem than anything else, right? Especially in design agencies, it's not like it's a SaaS business or very defined lines. It's like, here's $10,000 for this website. Whether it takes six months, 12 months, or one month, you're getting paid $10,000. So the net margin gets affected by the longer process of this particular job, right? That's what's happening here is you've got clients piling up, the work is getting stacked, and you're not churning. It's like restaurants who have three turns in a table for dinner. If you only have one Mm. turn and only one person sits at that table, you don't make money. Same kind of idea here is you've got a designer who you're paying 60 grand a month for, whether they do one project or 10 projects. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Okay, really interesting. And so the pivot to email was a decision Mm -hmm. that you and Adrian made, which I I think is an incredible thing to stop and go, hold on, is this work we like doing? Is this work profitable? No, cool, let's shift. That's a whole thing in and of itself. (laughs) But what do you then do? Because you've built a business, 12 people around Mm. a dev agency, building websites and designing things, and you've got clients who expect that work from you, mm-hmm. how do you then transition? Like, who do you talk to first once you and Adrian decided to do this? So we didn't talk, I'd say we wouldn't, we didn't talk to any client, any of our clients and say, hey, we're just pivoting and not finishing your work. So we knew, look, this would probably be a three to maybe nine month, maybe a year, I think. But in my head, I was like, hey, we can. I'm sure we can do this quickly and get sales, but blind optimism there. But is... <laughs> Yeah, so what we did was we, we, we actually wrote a, a blog post and put it up on Medium and designed it all nice and pretty and stuff. And we said, hey, this is what we were doing. This is why we've struggled because it's project-based. One of the things we're going to do now is we realize there's such a need for this email marketing specialist agency. We're pivoting to doing this and okay. put that out there. And so we had a... We only had a list of like 30 to 50 maybe clients that we so we actually met sorry we sent out a newsletter and put a blog post together but sent out a newsletter to our clients that we just added to our list tiny list i said 30 to 60 people on this list and one of our old clients that we had done a lot of work for previously dimension data got this email and i saw them opening this mail multiple times at like a 50 plus opens on the email and i knew that what was happening was People were forwarding this internally. I picked up the phone. I phoned them and they're like, oh, Jason, we were just talking about you. I was like, really? (laughs) And that landed us a big email retainer with them for designing newsletters. And that sort of kickstarted the business of the the pivot while we wind down the other clients. And while we stopped taking on this development work to do the email stuff, which meant that the churn of my staff happened naturally. They weren't getting as many challenging dev projects anymore. And I was almost helping them find, they, they left by themselves, not that I pushed them out. They were actually just looking for better challenges. And I was like, guys, you've hit your ceiling with us. And they were like, no, totally get it. And they still to today, you know, we have, I still know all of them and still, you know, chat and they, had, they still loved the time they used to work with us at Firing Squad. So huh. it wasn't like I fired anyone at that stage. So two questions on this. The first is you make it sound really simple. We looked and we didn't have money for a bonus and Adrian and I sat down and had one conversation and then bang, we were an email company and boom, we got our first clients. Like I call bullshit. It couldn't have been that easy one in the conversation with Adrian. Like surely you guys toiled over this decision because three years of sunken costs hiring developers, mm. building a brand, having clients, even if your revenue is good and your margins are short, you kind of committed to this business. So how did you unwind this move as a, a partnership? It, it, I think we both were looking at this. We, we had this, we, we worked so well together and we really became like best mates while we were doing this. And it was, I remember us sitting over Burger at Redemption Burger and Woodstock having this conversation. And for us, the thing that excited us about making this big transition was the move from project-based work to scoping and quoting and like all of that to two products. We had like, you know, premium and entry-level monthly costs 
you pay us every single month retainers. And that's what excited us, I think, more than me having to sell Adrian on it. He was like, I'm in with it. This sounds like amazing because we know how profitable this can be if we just look at the one client that we're busy doing this for. Let's go find more of those clients. And and us sending out that newsletter when we did it, that that got this one even bigger fish. They were like, oh, wow, we're definitely onto something here. Um, yeah, and that's that's such a key observation. This actually came up recently for me talking to someone. They were like, oh, I need to execute a marketing strategy. You know, like we got to do all the marketing stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you looked at the data of your previous three years of clients, pre-COVID, COVID and existing clients and gone, where's most of our income come from? And where are our clients actually coming from that give us most of our income? Then just go talk to them. And that's exactly what you did. And it's so rare it's such an easy and obvious win. Just look at the data you have and go, what does this tell us? And then make decisions accordingly. And you didn't make a decision based on gut. You looked at your income and went, this is where our money's coming from. Let's double that. Like really smart, really simple. And something that anybody can do. You don't have to be a genius to do that. So yeah, I mean, props to you guys. Then the second question I wanted to ask you about this is, you were not at this point an email expert. Like by any stretch of the imagination, you had a client and you were sending a newsletter for that client for a couple of years. And I've seen those newsletters, incredible connections newsletters are, hey, here's a product. Do you like it? Hey, here's a product. Click on this. So how the nuanced question that I want to ask you is, how did you overcome the inevitable imposter syndrome that comes with pivoting to something you know absolutely nothing about? Yeah, I mean, that, that when I looked around and I even had, I remember some people phoning us once and like starting to talk, ask me technical questions about which mail service provider to use. And then I was like, it doesn't matter which one you're using. And then the guy was like, no, no, I send out 2.5 million emails a month. It makes a difference. And he literally put down the phone. I was like, okay, I lost Oops. that. But it was more case of, of us, me being technical, technically minded, being a developer back in the day, understanding that I, I wasn't afraid of email because it wasn't that difficult. I couldn't now dive into understanding Python APIs and I understood how it works from the top high level, but don't ask me to code an API now. I wouldn't be able to do it. But could I write an email? Could I send one out? Could I set up an automation? Could I look online and see how people are setting up their email automations? Yes. Could I track data? We were doing it for Incredible Connection and one or two other clients we were running newsletters for. Yes. So it wasn't that I was completely oblivious to this world of email marketing. I just saw our clients doing it for some of the websites we had set up. We set up, you know, abandoned cart mailers and simple stuff like that. Then I was like, that's, so I had a bit of that skill already personally that I was able to lean on and then just dive deeper into it. It's also a really good illustration of how I try and help people reframe imposter syndrome to what I prefer calling it as imposter phenomenon. That when you understand what you don't know, the phenomenon is that you have the propensity to learn faster than anybody else. And imposter syndrome drives you to learn what you don't know so you don't feel stupid. And that's what you did. You're like, I don't know anything that I need to know. Let me go see who else is doing this, what I can learn from them, what systems they're on. The magic of fucking Google is astounding. Just Google best email flow technology. Bang, there's all your options. So yeah. I love that. I think that's a really smart thing. And before we move off this too much and move on, because I know that there's more to the story, how did you and Adrian decide what products and what pricing for these products? Because like it's quite a new thing, right? Going from service to product. Yeah, that was also once, it was a thumb suck, to be honest with you. We just looked at how many clients do we want to, or I looked at it from a case of like, well, the team that we sort of had at that stage, and there was probably five or six of us at that stage when we, when we like now pivoting and, and, and keeping it stable, that number of employees. And I was like, well, how many do we need to sell? How many do we have? And what would the market pay for this? And that was really where we came, came out of it. Did anybody sign up for us on those packages? No. We had two. Pa we changed our website. We had a landing page. We had two packages. Not a single person bought the package that was on the website, but they knew what we were doing. And then we they would say, "No, we actually send out these type of mailers, and we need help with this." And I was like, "Okay, that doesn't fit into any of the packages, but this is what it's going to cost you." Okay. So yeah, that that was sort of how we figured out the the pricing, but it didn't it didn't sell a thing. So it was always a custom package, but monthly that we sold. 
Okay, really interesting. So now you send out your first email to 60 clients, you get dimension data, you've got an incredible connection still on there. And now how many of your team have left and how many have stayed and what are you now building out? Yeah, so I say we were now sort of like, let's say that was around March when, you know, things started to tick off in that year. One of the two of the, the senior devs had now left because their projects had ended and I helped them find other positions. And so we were about four or we were about five people in the company at that stage. And we were now doing these newsletters and that was going well. And in slides, this email from somebody out of Hong Kong that goes, hi, we've built this startup. We're looking for some design work. And I was like, this is cool. Like we need a bit of extra revenue. Adrian's got additional design time. You know, he's great at that. Oh, let's have a chat, chat to this guy in Hong Kong. It was like dollars I'm like, oh my gosh our first international client like this would be amazing this is like the dream and by may 2015 we had sort of signed a design retainer just to do design web design we're back to design web design and that was around i think we were doing about five thousand dollars a month and i was like this is great like this almost covers you know most of the fixed costs in this business. And this is where things, the next yeah, it sounds ominous. Sounds <laughs> ominous. But I mean, like it, it is interesting that the ominous nature of the story kicks in when you get distracted. Yes. So other than the obvious revenue upside, hmm. why so quickly after pivoting to this new business model, did you go back to what you knew wasn't going to work for your business? Because I hadn't, like at that stage, I was not this, this sales and marketing guy that I am today, which I, I love. Back then, we did, I did no selling. I, everything was referral, word of mouth. I, we just sat there. We had, used to have a one-page landing page for this web design business. And then the email marketing was the same thing. I sent out one newsletter. We sent out a monthly newsletter after that, but just to the 50 or 60 people mm. on that list. I was doing no sales, nothing. Mm. I didn't even do outbound emails, nothing. And so when this came along, I was like, oh, re some, I saw this as like easy revenue because there was no dev. Adrian had capacity because newsletters did not much design. It was a little bit of design. And I was like, it ticks his box as well because it challenges him. And he would have loved, he, he saw this as like, oh, this is pretty exciting. I'll do this. Like while mm. we, you know, trying to grow this business. And I thought, yeah, why not? Like a few months of this is great. Like that was okay. all that really was in my head. Fair Hindsight enough. Wow. And I mean, I suppose as a business leader in a small business or small to medium sized business, you mm. want to layer on revenue because you want to protect your staff. You want to build up a little slush fund of money just in case and dollars go a long way in South Africa. Mm. So how long did this last before it started going pear-shaped? This, so yeah, 2015, we start, May, we start with them, design retainer. Design retainer becomes roping me into doing project management onto this job. I found a dev team to help them do some dev. So they're obviously now outsourcing to South Africa. Um, they had one or two developers on the team that they were working with, but they needed more capacity. They were going to build this out. And this was exciting to me. I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. The so retainer like, growing with the work? Yes, it was. A little. Okay. You, no, no. It was, yes, it was. Sorry, it was. It was the design. We weren't doing anything else other than, than the design. And then I was doing some project management on it. So that was growing a little bit at that time. And... What started happening was this client just started to suck up more and more and more of Adrian's time and my time. But then they started to like, I guess, roll out this red carpet of, listen, we need you to come to Hong Kong. We want to show you, you know, the team here. We've got this like thing, this is like event that we're going to. We're going to have like, you know, mastermind. And I was like, Adrian and I were like, oh, this is cool. They're going to fly us overseas. You know, let's see how this goes. So that's that started to happen that was like sort of in end of that year 2015 and then slowly but surely they just started to take up more and more of our time so much so that we were doing like one or two other clients work and them primarily and they were just sucking all our time through 2016. and why was that a bad thing it wasn't actually i mean hindsight bad but in a if, as for us during that time it was exciting like we were now getting paid like we were making more money myself and adrian were making more money we were working with this international hong kong based client that was working with five star hotels in in germany so they had like really great clients that weren't paying their money yet but that's what their clients were and I was getting to see, I was doing something I was enjoying, which was like managing the, the pro, I was almost, I was doing product, I was like a product lead, right? So mm. I would, they, he was coming to me for like, how do we build this out? What's the best way to do it? He often wouldn't listen and go and do his own thing. 
But I was at the time leading that and I was enjoying that. And Adrian was enjoying the design challenges that were coming with it. And so we just started to go further and further into this. And remember, we hadn't yet made the email marketing thing work. So we started looking at each other going, well, why don't we just write this like venture back business for like two, three years, you know, make some dollar cash out of it. And then like if it implodes, it implodes and we walk away, you know. So it was a relatively conscious decision that like you guys did sit down and go, we just launched this email thing. It's kind of hasn't taken off yet, but hey, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's take this dollar money and go for it. And you, were, you weren't unconsciously just falling into this. You guys made a very definitive decision. Yes. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, tick the box, but yes, it was a very much, we could look at each other going, ah, you know, he's full of shit. The client's full of shit, but we enjoy do working with them. He does listen sometimes and like, ah, we could put up with this. Like how long? Like, oh, we could I do mean, this. The, the, <laughs> so many of the things that you say, obviously in hindsight are red flags. Like, ah, oh, oh, the ridiculous. client's full of shit. Oh, the product's full of shit. I mean, we can put up with him. All these, <laughs> all these like words that are like very red flaggish. So I suppose I want to ask you, why were you not seeing them as red flags? And when did you see the first red? I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think it was more, it wasn't like he was the worst client. Like that was, that was it. Like, like it wasn't like I was, I'm, like, I'm over dramatizing it. But, Which I suppose was the problem though, right? If he was the worst client, it would have been a more definitive red flag. Exactly. I, we had fly, fired clients in the past for being like red, being dicks like that, mm. you know. And I remember someone phoning in once and sh shitting out one of my project managers. And I was like, what happened there? And I phoned the client back and I fired them. So you do not talk to my staff like that. If you have a problem yeah. with something, you phone me, not yeah. them. And it's not her fault. Yeah. Anyway, so I had done that in the past. He wasn't that difficult to, to, to handle. So it was more that the work was really interesting to do, even yeah. though the product was a bit janky. But hey, it was a startup. We're going to fix this, right? We've got yeah. developers. We now have a team. Like, it's going to get there. So I seen this, you know, Silicon Valley-esque business being built. And I was like, hey, I, like, this is a cool wave to be on, you know? Yeah. Completely caught up in that, that world of startup land. And we're um, on it now. We're like, let's go. Yeah. And so your staff stays the way it is. You don't scale your business any more than it is. You just use the capacity you have and find outsourced partners to scale the work that they need. But you mentioned something in passing that I think is going to be pertinent to this, that their clients weren't paying them. Yeah. So when do the red flags start to kick in? Because now you've been working on their business for about a year, a year and a bit. Do they actually fly you to Hong Kong? Do they fly you anywhere? Like what happens? Yeah, so flying, flying us to Hong Kong, we spent a week in Hong Kong meeting the team. I helped fire their current CTO because I was like, Rolf, this guy is terrible. This guy cannot lead this business. So I was now throwing my weight around because I was like, I was enjoying this. And I was like, there's no ways I can play fiddle with this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. So I remember having this quick conversation and then Rolf, like a minute later, had the conversation. He was out. So I was like, okay, oops. I didn't expect it to go like that. So that was in one part. And then... 20, so then 2016, we worked together whole, that whole year. By then, it was just Adrian. But then we had, it was myself, Adrian, and one other employee that we had at the time. So the other employees left, and I was like, well, we're just going to carry on working this and really ride this out. He, the client kept on, you know, hey, what, like, let's employ you full time, like, come onto the payroll, give you shares, and that type of thing. And we were still a bit hesitant of that. I think because we still had one or two other clients. We're like, no, we run a business. That was always our thing, this proudness of like a different ego thing from my side. Like, oh, I run a business. So, no, mm -hmm. you can't employ me full time. I mean, you know, psychologically, it's interesting to observe that you both mentally made this commitment to, fuck it, let's ride this VC guy out, but let's keep two clients so we have an out to make sure that we don't fully commit to the one thing or the other thing. You basically placed yourself between a rock and a startup place. Yes, without a doubt. Like, we should have just committed a lot earlier, I think, yeah. if I think back back then. Or not. Or actually, well, now actually, no. Either or, right? Better, but either or, picked one. But because we yeah, were on were the fence the whole time. Mm. Exactly. And it, and it made everything more difficult for us. Made the decision of, do we leave the office or not? Do we, mm. like, it always made these conversations with him more difficult because we were always playing like, ah, oh, would I really want to do that? Like, sign a contract with you, Rolf, or whatever. Um, and then in the beginning of 2017, so this is now like a year and a half we're working together, 2017, like, okay, you guys, we've now ro rolled out this new project product in the suite, flying you over to our clients. And now we're getting, now it's red carpet, hey? Staying at the Kapinski's and the, all the five-star hotels in Germany. 
we are getting rolled out the red carpet because he had all these relationships. We're staying there. It's like whining and dining us. We're like, this is amazing. Like, so now we're buying into the cool way. But we always knew something was a little, like money was always like an issue. And, and there was little red flags that kept popping up. I just kept on pushing those little red flags away because I was like, this is great. Like travel internationally, five-star hotels. You know, it was it was felt great, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, everything we know about business now, whining and dining your suppliers is a very strange way to go when they're just technical suppliers. Like they're not special. They're mm -hmm. not core to your business. It's odd that they would spend any kind of flashy money on two dudes who help them build websites technically true no it, it's true because he was trying to treat wild. us like the team and this culminated in april no sorry august 2017 we were and sitting before you in, get there there is yes. there's no issues that with this guy there's no payments there's no conflict issues like everything is kind of running smoothly for 18 months oh no 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 sorry i would now hire this dev team in yeah, south africa a big okay. dev team they're like a 40 50 staff like a big company we were hired like three or four of their devs payments were always late to them payments to okay. us were late you know so it would come but two to three months like after two to three months so, wow yeah, so, so like not really a week like, or two late no 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 but now we had cash flow from us from you know this dollar these dollars so we were okay but i kept hey rolf like make payment then he would like slip in like you know five thousand dollars into the account the next one like 10 and we're like okay you know it's coming drips and drabs and he kept on saying oh, i'm fundraising i'm fundraising he was always just fundraising forever like that was always his huge game. red flag eh? always fundraising red flag <sighs> yeah I, mean, I didn't know that so but no I mean, now you time, know like oh that sounds that's important yeah i mean I yeah didn't know. so and then within oh sorry i said we went to to germany in march it was actually it was actually august so august we yeah. went we flew over and saw the clients and we're sitting at this fancy ass Kapinski hotel in Hamburg and Rolf comes to us with like a full on proposal of like hiring us contracts, numbers, shares, everything is like, he's written it. The lawyer has already created this thing. And Adrian and I, or oh, a little bit, a little bit of awkward conversation. Cause I was like, okay, let's do this. I'm going to sign it. I'm happy with the number. And Adrian like pulls me aside. I said, dude, I'm not happy with this. I haven't even looked at it. And that was our relationship. I was this gung-ho guy. And Adrian was always the guy just to check the, the you know, I's, dot the T's or the other Props way around. to Adrian for having some and sense around him at that point. No, that's why I love the guy. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you're right. Jeez, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm getting caught up here. Cool. Rolf, give us the things. We'll go back to South Africa. Let us have a think about it. And ultimately, we made some tiny changes on the contracts, uh, just in terms of like working things and some small stuff. But, but I, I'm, so, I'm just so confused. Yeah. He literally <laughs> flew you to Hamburg to present mm. you with an already written shareholders agreement. No, we were there for the, their clients. Okay, so there were other reasons. All right, all right. No, we okay. were there that, for the, that's the, fine. The, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so you go back to South Africa with things. Got yeah, it. the hotels were the clients. We were there and then showed him this new software and stuff, and then he was there presenting. I mean, regardless, hotels are the clients or not, putting your suppliers in the expensive hotel is crazy okay. anyways. But so you take the contract back to South mm -hmm. Africa. It's now yeah. August, September August, 2016. August, 2017. August, 2017. 2017, August 2017. Okay. We, sign, we sign the contracts, myself and Adrian, we sign them. So it's like, cool, that's great. August, middle of August, and I think... Not even two weeks later, do we get an email from Rolf saying, hi guys, we've run out of money. We don't have any money left. We can't pay any salaries. We can't pay our suppliers. I'm raising funds. I'm going to use my, sell my car, blah, blah, blah. Can you hold on? You know, we've got some, someone's doing due diligence. He like made up all the terms, due diligence on us. Money's coming in soon. Just, we need to finish this feature. So we just carry on working. And yeah. what what exactly did you do once you received that email? Adrian, yeah, we were like, we, I mean, we just, we looked at each other and we were like, it wasn't even like, oh shit, we didn't see this coming. We were like, we knew, we both knew it was going. I, like, I mean, we, <laughs> yes, Nick, we both knew it. It was going to come eventually. We just didn't know when. And it just so happened it was like a few weeks after. I mean, yeah, listen. Did did you did you reply to Rolf's email? Of yeah. Adrian was great at this type of communication as well. Like he was and we were both on the same page in this. It's like 
dude, we're not working ever for free. So it wasn't like he couldn't even, he couldn't ride this out for even a week with us. We're like, yeah, you're either going to pay us now by Friday for yeah. the outstanding money you owe us now, or we are out. And, and that was pretty much the line we took. And it, it, it ended that relationship like right there. Okay. And the question that is on the top of my brain is why would he have brought you in two weeks before? Did you ever ask him, like, what made him give you that contract knowing that there was no money? We, so we actually, then now that you asked that question, we, when we were sitting at that hotel, we asked, and it was him and his wife as well, we asked him and said, listen here, like, how, can you guarantee our salaries for, you know, six months, 12 months, what's the number? And their response to us was, we've always just made it work every single month. And every single month, we've just managed to find money. We've raised little bits here and there. No, we can't guarantee. It's not like we have 12 months of runway in the bank. And we didn't just look at I was also first time in this stuff. I don't know how these like, companies run. Do they have this big bank account full of investor money that just runs down every month? I didn't know necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, this is how it works. Every month, they get money in from the investors. You know, so I was like, okay. But I could see it was like a, oh, but remember, this is now two years in, pretty much. Yeah, yeah when and they have they actually not, always made it work. They've always made it work. Yes, they were like a month or two months behind sometimes. And sometimes they were in front of payments and stuff. So it was like, I can back them. Like, it wasn't like I, it, yeah. So, so you were like, okay. There was some kind of track record. You weren't being completely there was a track ignorant. Record. This, uh, having read the Walter Isaacson biography on Steve Jobs, one of the things that mm. stood out for me about Steve Jobs, which a lot, I'm not unique in this, but he had what they called a reality distortion field that mm. he would say, you need to get the iPhone out in three months. And his people would go, that's not possible. And he'd go, no, it is possible. And they'd go, no, no, we're telling you it's not possible. And he'd go, no, 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 it's possible. And they would go away and do it in three months because he had the ability to convince people that this was reality and then they would build that reality. And it strikes me that this is what founders have. It's one of the most underrated things that great CEOs and leaders have is the ability to tell a story. And obviously, Rolf had that, right? Because you yeah. guys knew that he paid late. You knew that the business was kind of rocky. And you were still like, oh, screw it. Let's throw our hat in the ring. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of things from here. One is, what happened to Rolf? He continues continue to try and work on this business. Pretty much the development team that we had held, like got in, they were now trying to fund with shares and business and shares that were now being swapped and like all sorts of things to try and finish this, like just finish this piece of work so we can get investment. Mm. But we pretty much cut ties with him and we just kept on going every month or so. We're like, Hey, how's things going? Like not, we'd ask him, Hey, how's things going Rolf? Like any, any funding come in so you can like pay us, you know? Like that and so he did owe you money. He owed us money. He still, I mean, to today, he still owes us. I mean, how much? A thousand dollars, 10,000? No, no, no. It's like a, Forty, fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he just yeah. walked away, wrote that off, and never was to be seen again. Like, if you no, email him, will still... he reply to you today? Yeah, he will. Yeah, 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 he will. He has. I mean, I, I he, yeah, he's, he checked in like a year later. He checked in two years later. He's like, I'm still trying to make this work. We're coming back to you guys. I'm like, dude, Adrian and I are no longer even business partners. Like. No. Hey, Rolf, Even if, if you find this episode online, you owe Jason money. You need to pay your debts or bankrupt your company and liquidate and yeah. walk on, buddy. Let that he shit to, go. He wanted to give me shares at a stage about a couple of years ago after everything. I was like, I don't, I can't. Like, I'm not, I don't care if these are free. I don't even not interested like yeah, and this you. is this is a really interesting point to like stop on because there are positions and situations where gaining equity in a company is useful and valuable, but the overwhelming majority of share offers are meaningless to the staff. Meaningless. If you're listening to this and you're at a company and they're offering you equity, that equity is conditional. It's conditional on an exit. It's conditional on the business surviving. It's conditional on the preference shares that senior investors and management get paid out before you get paid out. It's also conditional on the fact that you don't own those shares until you've actually bought them. So you have to mm. spend money before you get the equity to sell the equity to earn money. Like so many conditions that if this is something that you can negotiate, rather negotiate profit share or bonus than equity, most of the mm. time, this is not Google that you are backing. 
like the story and this is the problem with the media right we believe oh the guy who is the 400th employee at google is now a millionaire yeah sure but there's one google in the world like yeah. you probably yeah. aren't working at it right now okay so he owes you he owed you this money you and adrian sat down got this email and went screw it we're never going to get paid let's move on like what did you do next because now you've got yeah. less staff you've got two clients what happened <sighs> So firing squad's like on a knife edge now, right? Like there's little, there's a bit of cash in the bank from the other clients that we had, you know, there, there's so, so some cash. Adrian, I think, yeah, he, he, at the end of this was like, I'm out of this. Like this isn't working for me anymore. I'm actually going to go find a job. And I was like, cool, dude. I, I, I mean, I understand. Like I, like I brought, taking you through the ringer the last couple of years and, you know, so we split all he really the, wanted to do was incredible design work and you gave him that chance for a long time but he was yeah. never really wanting to be an entrepreneur yeah exactly and so we we split and sort of like whatever was in the bank account we pretty much just split 50 50 and i was like i can't i mean i'm not ready to go and find a job yet and yeah one of the things i was doing to try and generate those email leads was sending out the newsletter and sending out cold emails and so, but I burned so many of those leads because like I said to you, I phoned people and I was like so busy. I didn't even get back to them because I was busy mm. with this other client. And I was like, well, let me just turn that on again. And Firing Squad slowly started to rise from the doldrums of that bottom when I was in a, the, the you know, worst time of my life too, because not only losing Adrian as like a business partner, we didn't, we, we stopped becoming friends. So we weren't friends anymore. And there's a whole nother story about that, but you were in a friendship circle and that also fell apart. And I think that's an important thing to touch on, Jay, because yeah. there, this is something that startup founders maybe don't realize until it's over. But as the founder, your life is dedicated to building this business. And then what invariably mm. happens is the people you build the business with in the beginning become your entire world. The people you mm. have beer with on a Friday, the people you watch sports with on a Saturday, the people you call when things are bad, the dinners you go out for. And then when the business breaks everything breaks around it. So yeah. like you, I don't want you to glance over that because that part is probably more important than the business parts. Like the part that I think I know from personal experience and from being around you when this happened, the part that broke you more than the business failing was the crumbling of everything around it. Because also your wife was friends with Adrian's partner and mm. your friends were all friends. Like how yeah, we were... does that unravel? Yeah, it, yeah, it was a really, yeah, we had a big sort of like friendship circle at that stage. And Adrian and I obviously working together meant we were always close and always seeing each other every weekend, pretty much, you know, and going away on weekends and things like that. Yeah, part of it was the, you know, us, you know, Adrian and I no longer us not being to business. Again. It didn't end, end badly or anything like that. It yeah. just, it's almost like we just, you know, he got Changed. in a boat next to me. And he just drifted off and my boat drifted right and his boat drifted left and and, and that was it. And, and That's a great analogy. You, know, you both clung on to lifeboats that weren't going in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. And that just, and the, the friendship circle from that also, there's more to it from not from the business side. Sure. I don't necessarily want to touch on that yeah. stuff. But that was sort of what happened, you know, with the two of us. And, uh, you know, I then had to sort of, I was like, well, I'm going to go start another business. Well, try and, yeah. sort of, try and like, Throw some life, throw some life jackets out, and see if I can get firing squad to mm. to survive. Um, and there is this which... this very strange mourning period that, like, we know how to deal with the loss of a loved one. We know how to deal with a breakup, but men don't really know how to deal with losing friends that are still alive, but like that are yeah. gone. It's a very strange thing, and nobody prepares you for what is that conversation that you have. The business side of this with Adrian was really simple. 50%, whatever's in the bank, you take what you take, I take what I take, we walk away. But then yeah. the rest is like, well, who do I phone, and who do I have lunch with, and who do I see mm. on the weekend? And and there is this gap, and you don't really know how to mourn that. So, yeah, I empathize, man. And, I mean, mm. having been around you at that period, it was it's hard. It's really hard to overcome this very real loss. And you go through mm. the five stages of grief. Like, it's it's brutal. Yeah, it was, it was tough. And, I mean, I, I think it took me a good few years mm. to get over, over, like, losing Adrian. Like, I, I felt... Yeah. I felt like I'd done him in type of thing. But mm. when I talked to him post that, it, I don't think it, he blamed me, but mm. he might have. I don't know. He's mm. such a nice guy. that like Yeah, shout out to Adrian because I know him like, too and he's a, a lovely human. And you yeah, know, sometimes I, I, businesses just do bad things. Exactly. And, and 
it's you know and it's that's what it is so mm. maybe he does maybe he doesn't i don't i don't necessarily know but it took me a long time to get over that feeling of like so i don't want to ever do anyone in and i felt you know i felt i did but he yeah. probably didn't look at it that way it's like hey he was also listen he also to take some ownership of the fact he was in yeah. this with me it wasn't like yeah. me making these decisions by myself but 100%. you know i did feel pretty shitty and it took a a good year, probably even two years, at least, mm. I would say, to get over that. that happened. And yeah. and then from a business perspective, so you guys split the bank account, you draw the money out. Did no. you liquidate that company or did Jason continue to run that business into the email marketing side of things? Yeah. It, so the brand was still strong. Like this firing squad brand was still there. And I just wrote that. So I didn't liquidate it or anything. I just sort of, let me bang out some cold emails let me actually focus on sales only. And sending out these cold emails, I started to book tons of me. And I was trying to sell newsletters again, but then I realized quickly, actually, I can sell this thing I'm doing. I can do it. I can build the lists, I can write the emails, and I can book them sales meetings. Yeah. And this then just, everyone, whenever I sent a cold email and had a meeting, they were like, well, how do you know this works? I was like, well, I sent you a cold email. We're having a meeting now. So this is what you're going to pay me, buddy, because this yeah. is going to work. And they're like, oh, and yeah. that then started to grow nicely. And then I started to be able to find some success with that. That's really incredible. The side of this that I think I want to touch on as we wind down this episode is the mental health part of it, because we haven't really touched on it. And your disposition generally is pretty laissez-faire, pretty happy. You know, you just do what needs to be done. But at this point, throughout this period of your life, you have a wife, you are having two children, mm -hmm. and you are basically losing income from month to month. So what was it like in your personal life throughout this two-year period? So I'm, I will say I had an incredible wife that had a very stable job, number one. Shout out to Karina. And she's always been like, she's so risk averse so that she would, she would never go on her own or anything like that. So she could see me doing all Shout out to risk averse things. partners. I've got one too. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. And so because of that, there, it, it wasn't that I even like, I, I, we always just, I was just being able to make ends meet on my side that, that we had. And then like whatever she had was able to top up. So we didn't struggle, let's put it that way, but it wasn't like we we're packing away a ton of money or anything like that. So it, it was, and I had these little retainers and now I had no staff, no offices, no overheads. You know, yes, but was, that is all financial. How was it yes, at home? Oh. Like, what was your mental health like? What was your relationship like? How were you coping with the kids, your friends? Like, because now you've lost your friends, you you stuck with nothing really, and mm. like, tough, man. So having kids and the relationship with Karina and I, we just sort of she lost. No, remember, she lost her friendship circle, and I lost my friendship circle at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and so the thing that that I guess because it happened to both of us at the same time, we managed to, it made us and our relationship even stronger because that, mm. that's all we now had. We had each mm. other. We had, we had one kid at the time, the second on the way. And that, that's what we could cling on to. So yes, we were both mourning this. We'd often talk about the situations. We would often like, you know, we can come like, what are we doing this weekend? Normally we'd go out and have a bri with our friends or, you know, be going away for a weekend or, you know, and you start seeing the social media, you start seeing them, they're still going out, they're still doing their thing. And like, we're not part of it. And it's like, yeah, it hurts. It, it, it was low. And like, I could talk to her about it, that which was great, because she was feeling the same thing. And we could sort of like, I guess, wallow. Honestly, we were just wallowing for months about it. Moved house, which helped, I guess, because made, there was change that happens. We moved back to Cape Town itself from outside in, in Durbanville area. And then, and slowly but surely, that sort of, you know, you don't feel it anymore. You just remember it and the feelings start going away after a good few months. And then eventually it's just a memory. And now even so, you know, now it's a stage where I can't remember so much. So even thinking about it doesn't create an emotional reaction anymore, which... And time really proves that we're resilient people. Like, you know, mm. friends, I, I firmly don't believe the friends are forever. I think friends are phased and either they grow with you or they grow away from you. And that's just the way life is, mm. much like business partners. And that's okay. Okay, so... I then want to move towards the question that I think is an important one for you because it's helped build other things. But what have you taken from that experience that you bring with you now into the business that you're running today? Right. Yeah. I think from a from a the way that I've sort of structured the new business, without a doubt, learned so many lessons about 
making sure you know retainer-based businesses, dollar bringing in dollars into this into my current business, and not just willy-nilly giving away shares like like to people just because they're in the business and they're like a key staff member. Like mm. definitely not look doing that. The systems and processes that I have in place, understanding finances. Like I understand it so much better now, having gone through that mess. Now you you know clients pay day one. I don't have my onboarding call with you until you've paid me for the month up front. You know, like so all the there's like these little micro things that have helped me form this really tight uh, business now that I look back at going and out every single one of them that I implement now. I'm like I have this story that I made the mistake of. Also. Mm-hmm. And the big one, I think, is also like having this one big client. That was also big. It was like 80, 90% of your revenue. No longer what I'd have, you know, that's another big red flag immediately for me. And so, you know, there's multiple clients now, they're all paying yeah. pretty much the same amount. If one leaves, eh, so what? It's not a big yeah. thing. So, and yeah, I would, I would from, from an outside observation, I think one of the big things that resonates with me and my story or that you, are, you did and experienced too is fucking distractions, man. Because actually, the thing that you wanted to do with Adrian, email marketing, is the thing you're doing now. And it's it's like variety or variation of it. But you started that. You had two clients. You saw traction. And then the shiny Mm. Hong Kong dollar guy distracted you. And it's a theme that's coming Mm. up more and more on this show. And I've said it multiple times. It's the thing that defined the first 15 years of my career was my inability to say no to things that were a distraction. Mm. And I think you, over the last five years, have just figured out that focus is the key. Like you can do one thing, do it brilliantly and people will find you. And so on that bombshell, won't you tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can buy from you and anything else you would like to say, the floor is yours. Cool. So yeah, so the new business is called Copy Check. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So Jason Bagley and I'm, you know, what we do is like your, I'm like your outsourced or fractionalized CMO and come up with your marketing and sales strategies. And then we will go and implement those marketing strategies from a copy so yeah that's 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 me i will link everything in the show notes but jay man i'm really happy to say that for you and your entrepreneurial journey it's not over cool